0: Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now.
1: I have had one of those kinds of days that started out cool, calm, and collect. One of those mild days. You know, everything started out really mild. And then, by mid-afternoon, it went from mild to wild. That's the title of this morning's message, Mild to Wild. And I mention that title because that's what happened with Peter and John, two of the disciples who were following Jesus Christ with all their heart. They started out with a very normal, ordinary kind of day. They were on their way to pray. It was the three o'clock hour, and they were about to go into the temple to pray, something that they would normally do. And wouldn't you know, on their way in the temple by the gate, which is called Beautiful, there was a man who was laid daily at the gate. And they would lay him there, and he would beg for money. He would ask for money. That was his normal routine. It was an ordinary, mild day for him. So you have these different men going through the routine, normal day for all of them. And as Peter and John are about to enter in through the gate, the lame man looks at them. Peter and John look at him, and their eyes meet, they intersect, and he asks for money. And Peter says, silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up. He grabbed him by the arm. He stood up and he began to leap. He began to praise God. The Bible says that his ankle bones were immediately healed. They went from mild to wild. Well, That was a crazy, amazing miracle that took place. Now, if you fast forward, of course, all the people who knew him, friends, probably relatives, it says all the people who knew him, they stood amazed in wonder. They were awestruck. They couldn't believe what they had saw because the lame man had been lame for 40 years And a supernatural miracle had just taken place. They're shocked. They're they're in awestruck wonder what just happened. They couldn't believe what they saw. So word began to spread. And of course, what did Peter do? The man of God. He used that platform to begin preaching about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter didn't waste any time. He used that opportunity, that platform that God had given him, he used it to speak about the power of Jesus Christ. And I love Peter the Apostle. In fact, he said in his epistle, if anyone speaks, let him speak the words of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God will be glorified, through Jesus Christ to whom belong the power, the dominion, and the glory forever and ever. So he went on to preach about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and even called out the religious people who were around the temple. And he said, you guys were part of putting Jesus Christ to death. And then from there, in Acts chapter 4, all the religious people, the the elite men, if you will, the chiefs, the scribes, all these men, they, they got together and they consulted and they're like, what, what's going on? What has just taken place? You see, they had become disturbed because you have the lame man who was healed. You have Peter who just preached a powerful message on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now you have more followers following Peter and John. They want to know more about Jesus Christ. And it says that people were added to the faith. And so now they're afraid for their own self. And they laid hands on Peter and John and they put them into custody until the next day. They arrested them. They threw them into the can. They threw them into jail. And then they began to ask themselves, what are we going to do with these guys? We we have to stop this. We can't allow this to continue. Something needs to be done about this situation. And so here in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. I love that verse. They marveled and they realized that Peter and John had been with Jesus. Why were Peter and John such powerful men of God? Why were they used to radically impact their culture? Why were they the kind of men that were used to turn the world not upside down, but right side up for Jesus Christ? One of the reasons is because they were men who spent Time with Jesus they were men who came into the presence of Jesus therefore in the presence of the Lord they found power the power of Jesus they had that power of God within them the same spirit that raised Jesus from The dead was the same spirit that lived inside of them. And aren't you glad that the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead 2,000 years ago is the same spirit that lives inside of us today? Aren't you glad that Jesus Christ has taken ordinary, common, uneducated, untrained men and women like us, young and old, to do great and mighty exploits for Jesus Christ? Jesus doesn't change. He's the same today just as He was yesterday. And he's the same, he will be the same tomorrow. The power of God still holds true for today. God's power wants to be unleashed in a group of men and women who will be like Isaiah, the prophet, and who will say, God, use me, send me, I will go. And God will touch our mouths, fill our hearts, give us minds like Christ to go forth and do great and mighty things for the Lord. They were uneducated, untrained men, but they had been with Jesus. That's the ticket, guys. That's the key, is to spend time with Jesus in prayer, in His Word, in His presence, as it was just said a few minutes ago from Psalm 16. In His presence is the fullness of joy. In His presence is the fullness of joy. They realized that they had been with Jesus. Verse 14, and seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. Yeah, definitely not. I'm sure they probably took this man to one doctor right after another. He was uh, lame for over 40 years. And I'm sure they, they took him to many doctors and they tried getting him fixed and, and getting different diagnosis from doctors and the doctors coming to a conclusion, you know, there's there's nothing we can do. (laughs) Uh, He was known throughout Jerusalem. He was laid daily at the gate and he was there every single day. Somebody would bring him. They would lay him and he would ask for money. He would beg for money. And I'm sure, you know, the religious men uh, on certain days of the week, they probably felt bad. Oh, let me throw a few coins you know, in his bucket uh, just so that I could do my good deeds. And so they knew who he was. And now he's standing there whole on his legs. He just finished leaping and jumping and praising God. And now he's standing there on his two legs. They're like, what just happened? They could say nothing against it. There was no argument against what God did there's no argument against what God does in our lives when God changes a person from the inside out you can't argue with the changed life when God brings healing to a heart you can't argue with it you can't say anything against it especially if you knew that person BC before Christ (laughs) you're like I can't say anything against it I mean I know the guy he tried everything in the book to change he went here he went there but nothing worked. What happened? It had to have been a miracle, a notable miracle. It was Jesus Christ working in him and through him. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves. You could just hear all the chatter. You know, all these men chattering. What What are we going to do? How, how are we going to stop this? We, we're losing followers. We're losing people. Some of the religious men and, and, and women who have followed us, they're they're now... Going on this side, what are we going to do? How are we going to stop this? We need to put this to to a, a halt quickly. Saying, verse 16, What shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. They could not stand against it, and they could not deny it. You can't stand against Jesus, and you can't deny Jesus. Yeah, people deny Jesus all the time, and, and they say Jesus is not real. They say Jesus was, was a great teacher, a mighty prophet, but they don't attribute the fact that Jesus is God. People can deny it with their mouth, but the reality is one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to God who is In heaven, every knee, every knee, every tongue, those under the earth, those standing on the earth and those in heaven will confess. There's no denying it. Yeah, people can deny him now, but there's a day coming when they won't deny it. Their tongue will confess whether they want to confess or not that Jesus Christ is Lord. And they couldn't deny it. They couldn't deny that a miracle had been done. So here's where we get to their plan to stop. Peter and John dead in their tracks. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them. Threats sometimes work, but not for these men. That from now on they speak to no man in this name. So what's their mission? Let's threaten them. Let's tell them that they can no longer speak to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. Now it's a command. I am commanding you by the powers vested within me. I am commanding you by the authority given to me by Jerusalem council. You are no longer allowed to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Wow. That was heavy. You can no longer speak. I don't want the name of Jesus flowing from your mouth anymore. I don't want your tongue to be the tongue as of a ready rider. I don't want it to speak the name of Jesus anymore. You can't speak of his name in Jerusalem. And on top of that, you can't teach. You can't teach anymore that Jesus died and that Jesus rose from the grave on the third day. We are now commanding you to no longer teach in his name. Notice Peter and John, verse 19. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. In other words, we aren't going to stop. I know you arrested us. I know you commanded us to stop. We cannot but speak. In other words, We have to speak about His name because His name changed me. His name set me free. His name opened the eyes of the blind. I watch Jesus in action. We cannot but speak about the name of Jesus. Isn't there so much power in the name of Jesus? Isn't that why Paul the Apostle said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. There's so much power in the name of Jesus. There's so much compassion in the name of Jesus. There's so much love in the name of Jesus. There must, there's so much hope in the name of Jesus. There's so much opportunity in the name of Jesus. There's so many promises in the name of Jesus. His name is a name above all names. His name is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, we cannot but help to speak about the name that has saved me. The sweet, sweet name of Jesus. Peter and John said, whether it is right. You judge first 21. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old, on whom the miracle of this healing had been performed. It says that in Acts 4 from Peter and John, using this platform after the miracle, it says that many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. About 5,000 people believed from the notable miracle and from Peter and John using that miracle as a platform to preach the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that? The number of men came to be about 5,000. That's just men. That's not including women and children. That's just mentioning men. And so they let them go because of the people. They're like, man, we're going to have to fight against the people if we do anything else. So we are going to let them go. How did Peter and John handle this crazy situation? Because this is what I want to look at this morning. All that I just said was was a background that led up to what I want to talk about this morning. This morning, I want to talk about three things. I want to talk about the companions. I want to talk about the creator. And I want to talk about the courage, the companions, the creator, and the courage. And we find those three things in verses 23 through 31. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made Heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. So they went to their companions in verse twenty-three. In verse twenty-four, they called onto, they called to God, who is the Creator, the one who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. And then in verse twenty-nine, they asked for courage. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. They went to their companions. What is a companion? Well, a companion is a friend. It's a confidant. It's a teammate. It's someone who shares the same vision and passion that you share for Jesus Christ. It's a friend that could be counted on. I mean, they were threatened, right? They were commanded not to speak in the name of Jesus Christ anymore. So they were going through a very rough time. This was a, a difficult situation. This was like playing hardball. This was like being on, on the court and playing against guys that are twice your size and knowing that you don't have a lot of skill, but they have all the skill. I mean, this was a very difficult situation. And here's what they could have done. And here's what we might have done. They, had about 5,000 men, new followers, plus other disciples running around the city of Jerusalem. What they could have done is they could have said, you know what, man, we got 5,000 deep right now. Plus all the disciples that aren't here, plus all of our friends and family members, here's what we could do. Let's get the word out via text message. Oh, they didn't have... Texting back then. Instagram maybe. No, they didn't have that either. Facebook. Yeah, that, that'll spread the word quickly. No, they didn't have that either. They didn't have Twitter. They didn't have email. They had none of those things. But they could have used the word, the words that they had in their mouth. They could have got the word out and said, you know what? At six o'clock, we're going to call a gather. We're going to rally everybody together and here's going to be the plan we're going to rise up there's going to be an uprising we're going to have an uprising and we're going to get out on the streets we're going to protest and we're going to come against the command that they gave to us did they do that they didn't do they didn't do that instead they went to their companions To other men and women, to other friends who would stand with them, who would help them, who would pray for them, who would listen to them, who would speak truth into their lives. We need godly companions. We need men and women, friends who will stand with us when things are bad, when the reports aren't too good. We need men and women who will hold up our arms. Men and women who will help us. What does the Bible say? Bad company corrupts good habits, good morals, bad company. So if you hang out with bad company, then bad company will corrupt you somehow, some way. But if you hang out with godly companions, men and women, what are they going to do? They're going to spur you on. They're going to encourage you. They're going to sharpen you. They're going to hold up your arms when you're weak and they're going to say, we can do this together. Let's go. Let's make it happen. We need to surround ourselves with godly men and women. And in Christianity, we need companions who will stand with us, who will help us along the way. Now, after reading that report that I just read in verses 17 through 22, because it says in verse 23, and being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. How would you have responded after hearing that report? Here's how I might have responded. My heart might have started beating fast, and my hands might have started sweating. I might I might have thought, who do they think they are threatening my friends like that? I might have even thought, Do they, do they know who they're messing with? They're messing with God, Almighty God. It, they, they better watch it, if they don't stop messing with God, God's going to squash them like a bug, bug. He's going to smoke them. Do they know who they're messing with? Instead of responding in a hostile way to these reports, notice what their companions did in verse 24. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God. Who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Who did they call on? The creator. How do we know they called on the creator? Because they said, Lord, you are God. You made the heavens. You made the stars. You made the sky. You made the galaxy. You spoke them into existence. You made the heavens. You made the earth, the dirt that we walk on. You made the sea, the waters and all that is in them. God, you are the creator. In other words, they called upon God because they knew who God was. Is anything too hard for God? Lord, these people, they aren't in control, but you are. They can't even create dirt. And yet, God, you created the heavens and the earth. These people aren't in control. Yeah, they think they're in control, but they aren't. You are. In control. In fact, you are the creator. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. Revelation 4.11, For you, God, created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So what did God create? All things. And by your will, they existed and were created. This is such a good reminder for us because trials and tribulations, sicknesses, difficulties, not being able to find a job, all these different life situations, they come at us. And sometimes they come at us faster than other times. And, and they're one right after another. You ever had any of that in your life? somebody bullying you at school, somebody uh, demoting you or, or overlooking you at work, somebody treating you unfair, all these different things happening. And it's just like one right after another. A lot of times when these situations come, we we can lose sight of who God is. We can lose sight of how big our God is. And we can put our focus on the problem. We can put our focus on the person. We can put our focus on the predicament. And in us doing that, we can forget, man, our God is the creator. God created me. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I am designed by God. Not only did God create me, but he created the heavens and the earth. God's all-powerful, God's almighty, and we can lose focus because we put, we put our eyes on, on the things that are in front of us. I've done it, have you? Have you ever lost sight of who God is because of something going on in your life, and you're like, man, there's no light at the end of the tunnel, I can't see it. And another Christian comes alongside, and, and he prays for you, she prays for you, and they're, they're reminding you, you know what, hold on, cling to the promises of God. I tell you, there's light coming at the end of the tunnel. And you're like, man, but I've been praying for how long? And you lose hope. You lose sight of who God is. And we're all prone to do that. Even though we're Christians, even though we're rooted and grounded in the Lord, Sometimes we have this propensity to take our eyes off of Jesus and to put our eyes on the situation. And God reminds us, get your gaze back on me and just glance. Glance on the world. Glance on your situation. Don't gaze on it because the word gaze means to look intently. Turn to your neighbor and look intently at her or him. All right, you did a great job. Now, let's say that you just decided to do that for the rest of the message. I mean, wouldn't that be awkward? Before you you know it, you might start noticing how big their nose is maybe. Or maybe you might notice something in their eye. And then you're going to lose focus on what God has for you. And that's the way it is a lot of times in, in, in this Christian life that we're walking in. We we put our gaze on on the situation instead of putting our gaze on heaven like Stephen the martyr when he was being stoned to death. He gazed up into heaven instead of gazing at those stones that were being thrown at him and that were hitting him. He gazed into heaven and he saw the Lord standing up. He he got up from his throne. He was standing there waiting for Stephen to arrive in heaven because he took his eyes off of men and he put his eyes on the God of heaven. And God wants us to gaze on heaven and glance on the earth. I love King David. King David was staring into the eyes of Goliath, the giant. Now, I mean... He's pretty much almost toe to toe with him i mean there there's a a good distance from from both of them, but they could see each other of course giant uh, Goliath was a huge giant probably the bible says over nine feet tall David was a a ruddy young teenager good looking kid and what was the giant doing? He was calling out the Hebrews he was a philistine and He was defying Israel, constantly coming against Israel. Everybody was afraid of him. Nobody wanted to fight him. Nobody wanted to get in the ring with him. Everybody had tapped out before even getting into the ring. They were afraid. And here's David looking at the giant, staring into his eyes. And he could have cowered, especially when the giant opened his mouth And he roared and said these words, you come at me with a stick, come over here, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals. You imagine that? Somebody saying, hey, come over here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna destroy you. I'm gonna give your flesh to the wild animals. Instead of cowering, he courageously replied to the Philistine. He said, you come with me. You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. Of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. And here's what David said, today, the Lord will conquer you. Why was David so confident? He was confident because he knew how big his God was. David knew that with man, it was impossible. I'm sure when David scanned the entire area and he saw all of the Israelites, the entire army, including his brothers, including Saul, who was the king, the leader of the nation at that time. He, he he might have been thinking, I don't know, but perhaps he was like, man, it's impossible with man, but with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. So, two keys so far before we move on to the third one. Two main ingredients in these situations that we face in life. Always remember that God has brought others into your life for a purpose. Companions, friends. A lot of times we feel like alone. We feel like we're alone. And a lot of times we feel like that because we're not reaching out. And, and sometimes we're even afraid to reach out to our friends and say, you know what, man, I'm battling. I'm struggling. I'm going through this. What we like to try to do is we like to try to go it alone, especially men. We like to try to go it alone. We're like, you know what? I got this. I'm good, dude. I don't need any help. Don't tell me which way to go. I'll find my own way. I don't need directions. Even after traveling three hours in the wrong direction, I still don't need directions. Sometimes we're like that. But God has brought people into our life for such a time as this to help us. And when I read the Bible, I read scriptures like two are better than one. Jesus sent them out two by two. When Moses' arms were, were failing and, and he was weak, and when Joshua was on the battlefield against the Amalekites, They raised up Moses' arms. They held up his weak arms. And Joshua and the guys had victory on the battlefield. Why? Because other men were around them helping. God's brought friends. If you don't have friends, man, this church would love to show you their friendship. We need companions. We need help. And Peter and John, they weren't too proud to bake. They realized that. You know what? Man, I need to go to my companions. I'm not going to try to face this giant alone. And so they went to their companions. And I love what their companions did. They encouraged them. They exhorted them by going into prayer. And they raised their voices in unity, it says. And then in verse 25 and verse 26, they, clo- um, they, they quote Psalm chapter 2, verse 25. Who by the mouth of your servant David have said... Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. So they quoted Scripture. They're they're praying. They're seeking the God of heaven and earth and now they're quoting Scripture. There's power in Scripture. When we pray Scripture, there's power in praying Scripture. When we speak Scripture, there's power in speaking Scripture. Scripture: it cuts. So they're, prof- they're reminding themselves of Psalm 2, which was a prophecy hundreds of years before these events came to pass. Psalm 2 predicted that the nations would rage. Psalm 2 predicted that the people would plot vain things. Psalm 2 predicted that the kings of the earth would take their stand and that the rulers would be gathered together against Jesus Christ, and they're living it right then and there. They're living Psalm 2. It came to pass hundreds of years later and they're living it out. It's in living color. They went to their companions. They called on their creator. And then in verse 29, they asked for courage. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word I love that they ask for courage did you notice something about this prayer did you notice that it wasn't a prayer of relief but a prayer for courage what an excellent pattern for us Lord give us courage Lord look on their threats Lord give us boldness that we may speak forth your word Paul asked the Ephesians in the book of Ephesians to pray for him and here's what he asked. Here's his prayer request. Pray for me that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. The dictionary defines courage as the ability to do something that frightens one. That's how... Courage is defined, it's the ability to do something that frightens one. Have you ever been frightened, afraid to do something? And you ask for courage, and then you step into whatever frightened you? And God gave you the courage. You see, God wants to give us the courage. God told Joshua, in the book of Joshua many times, He said, be strong and very courageous. He told them not, he told Joshua not just once, but several times, be strong. And then he said, very courageous. Not just courageous, but very courageous. Now keep in mind, Joshua had just taken over for Moses. Moses had died. And now Joshua is leading the people into the promised land, into the nation of Israel, into the land of Canaan. Moses was a powerful man of God, the most humble man on earth, big shoes to fill. God did the miraculous through Moses, like, like parting the water of, of the Red Sea, calling the ten plagues down. I mean, this guy saw some miraculous things. Water coming out of a stone in the wilderness, manna falling from heaven. I mean, people's feet, pe- people's feet not swelling for 40 years. I mean, one miracle right after another, God used Moses to give the Ten Commandments to the people. And now he's dead, and now Joshua has to take over and lead the people. you imagine how fearful that must have been to Joshua? How am I going to lead like Moses? Man, he was so amazing, so powerful. How am I going to do it? And I think that's why God told him, "Do not be afraid, do not be dismayed. Be strong and very courageous, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go." You're going to need courage to go into the new land. Why? Because there's going to be enemies. You're going to you're going to battle against the the Hittites, the Canaanites, the Amorites, the, the Zittites, whatever ites. You're going to battle against all the ites, and you're going to have to go against one one enemy after another. There's going to be a lot of battles but be very courageous. Step out and watch me work. God wants to give us courage. Not like this guy. About the, uh, Adrian Rogers, he tells about the man who bragged that he had cut off the tail of a man, uh, of a man eating lion with his pocket knife. Here's this guy. He comes with the tail of a lion and he's bragging. He's like, "Check out this this tail of a lion that I cut off with my pocket knife." And everyone's like, "Ooh, wow, dude, you're courageous. I can't believe you li- you really cut off the lion, the a tail of a lion with with that little small old timer, a little small pocket knife. No way, really? Yeah, way, dude." And then it went on, asked. Asked why he hadn't cut off the lion's head. The man replied, Someone had already done that. We need courage. God, courage. We need courage to face adversity. We need courage to face fear. We need courage to face the unknown. We need courage to face fear. We need courage to face adversity. We need courage to face the unknown. I often think of Daniel's courage. I thought about it this morning in Daniel chapter 6, when the law was made that whoever prays to any other God or man for 30 days except the king shall be cast into the den of lions. The law was signed, signed, sealed, and delivered. The law was made. Why did they do that? Because they tried finding dirt on Daniel so that they could, you know, keep him from being promoted. Because they were talking about promoting him. And they're like, you know what, we're going to keep this back from being promoted. This guy from, from being promoted. So let's sign a law. Because we know that Daniel will not back down from serving his God or praying to his God or seeking his God or worshiping his God or walking with his God or telling other people about his God. That's how we'll get him. That's how we'll get rid of him. So let's make a law. Let's throng the king. Let's push against the king. Let's have the king sign this law so that when anyone petitions any other god except you, O king, for 30 days, will be thrown into the den of lions. What did Daniel do? How did Daniel respond to the new law? The Bible says he went into his upper room in Jerusalem, Open up his window, as was his custom, and he prayed to God three times. In other words, he wasn't going to back down. Why? Because he had, he had, he had courage to face adversity. He knew what the law said. The law said, if you are caught praying to any other God except the king, you will be cast into the den of lions. And he was cast into the den of lions. But God sent his angel to shut the mouth of lions' mouth so that they did not hurt him. He had courage to face adversity. It's not our courage. It's the courage of God. God gives us this courage. I believe it's a supernatural courage. Because in my own strength, I'll cower. But in the strength and in the courage of God, I can face whatever God has. We also need courage to face fear. The Bible says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Let that verse sink in. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. We need courage to face fear. We we have fear. There's a lot of different fears. Fear of losing jobs. Fear of this and that. And there's just the list can go on and on and on. We need courage to face our fears. And God will give us what we need. We also need courage to face the unknown. Yeah, we know who holds our future. We know where our future is. My future is in heaven where there will be no more pain, no more death, no more suffering. God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. All things will be made new. We know that we have a bright future in heaven that's coming. But we don't know what tomorrow or the next week or the next month holds. But we need courage to know that we can face the unknown. Because we can have that certainty. How did God honor these men and women? Notice how God honored these men and women. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. How did God honor their request? God answered their prayer. The place where they were praying was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. Only crazy followers of Jesus Christ would ask for boldness in the midst of difficult times. Man, they, they had to be crazy. They were just as crazy as those other ones. I mean, here's my request. if I, Possibly, if I would have been in their shoes... I might have said, oh, man, Lord, just help me. Uh, Lord, I think, I think I'm think i going to go home and and uh, just talk about you to my family and keep it in, in a comfort zone. But no, they asked for more boldness. That meant more trouble. Because these guys weren't going to back down. In fact, we know how the book of Acts continues. A lot of the men of God end up martyred. They end up killed for their faith, but they wanted more boldness. They weren't going to hold back. And God answered. Can you imagine finishing up your prayer and, and the house shaking and then God filling you with his, with his spirit and then giving you the ability to speak the word of God with boldness. So how did Peter and John handle the situation that started out calm, that went from mild to wild overnight. They went to their companions. They went to their companions. Find godly companions. It's the beginning of a new year. Share your heart. Build your relationships that you have. Go deeper and wider than ever before. Call on God, the Creator. Make that part of your daily routine. Call on God and ask Him for help. And then ask for courage. Ask for courage and allow God to do great and mighty things in and through your life. Father, we thank You. God, that we have godly companions in Christ. Here we are 300 miles away from New Mexico, our first time ever. And we have godly friends here in Lubbock. Friends that we never met. But we have that, that fellowship. We have that togetherness. We have that koinonia. Why? Because we're the body of Christ. We're in one accord. We have the same vision. We have the same passion. We believe in Almighty God. And we share that commonality. We're on the same team. We Help each other. We we encourage each other. We speak truth into each other's lives. We pray for each other. We build each other up in our most holy faith. And I pray that you just pour out a fresh companionship, Lord God, in 2017 upon this fellowship in a supernatural way. That I pray that you bring in more friends into this fellowship like never before. I pray God, just like you poured out your spirit upon the disciples when the place where they were gathered together was shaken, I pray God that you pour out your spirit, Lord God, in a powerful way upon this fellowship, upon this neighborhood, and upon this city. I pray you pour out your, your spirit upon the leadership upon Pastor Ben and his, his assistants and the leaders and the volunteers in this church. Lord God, I pray that you pour out your spirit in a supernatural way, in a mighty way, that it wouldn't be weird, but that it would be powerful and mighty to save and that people would come from all around to find out what Jesus is doing in Lubbock through a group of men and women who have said, Lord, send me, use me, I'm willing to go for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm willing to be courageous for Jesus. I pray that you would do a mighty work, that there would be a revival that... You would pour down Your rain, Your Spirit upon Your people. Refresh them, renew them, revive them, rebuild them, reestablish them. God, do a powerful work because You are God. I pray that You would charge us, Lord, to go forward in power and might. That it wouldn't be by power nor by might, but by the might of the Holy Spirit, by the wind of the Holy Spirit. God, fill us afresh. Do a mighty work that only you can do. And then God, give us the power to speak forth the word of God with boldness. It says, and as they spoke, they spoke the word of God with boldness. Give us that boldness. Help us not to be ashamed. Lord, your word says that if we're ashamed of you, you will be ashamed of us. And I pray that we would not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. Because it's what's changed us. We want to see more people, the lost, get found. Lastly, Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in here that has not put their faith in Jesus, in other words, they haven't confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, if they haven't asked you to forgive them for their sins, if they haven't been washed and cleansed from their sins, I pray, God, that this would be their moment where they would say, Lord Jesus Forgive me of my sins. I confess that I'm a sinner and I need you. Save me by your grace. And I want to close out by just giving a, an invitation, an opportunity to you to receive Jesus. If that's you and you want to receive Jesus, raise your hand so I can see your hand and then lead you in a word of prayer to invite Jesus Christ to forgive you of all of your sins and to become your Lord and Savior. Anyone at all? Anyone at all? Amen. Father God, we bless you in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.